Hey guys, welcome to Rank and Vile, the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever. And on this episode, we have Pushcart nominated uh, writer, uh, poet, and all around Banff, uh, Brianna Lachardi. How's it going? Hi, good. It's good. Uh, and obviously, this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. Is it obvious? Is well, it? I would assume by this point it was obvious. <laughs> you do have very distinctive voices. That's true. <laughs> That's It's not good. Wait, hold on. Hey, take it off. Oh. <laughs> hey. Can you? Yeah, thank you. Sorry. Yeah, that's staying oh. in. <laughs> <laughs> we live in this apartment I... complex, like full of dogs, and one of them is always barking. And I feel like Tink- I feel like with dogs, Tinkerbell does this thing where it's like responding to a YouTube comment, and <laughs> she just has to make herself known that like you may you may say that bark, but I'd like to you know rebut that also bark. And then this process continues for a minute. Um, so well, uh, I, I kicked my cat out, so... Oh, there you go. We're uh, good on my end. So, Brianna, the question that we like to ask our guests, uh, guests when they come on is, what is your background with horror? Like, how did you get into it? What's your what's your thing with horror? Um, well, horror and I did not get off to a good start. I was a very just traumatized child by everything scared me. So I was never allowed to watch scary movies. I mm-hmm. remember one time I accidentally caught one on tv and i didn't sleep for like a week so my family banned me from it (laughs) and then when i was in high school i decided i would try to conquer it and i watched a scary movie i think it was the ring so i might have even been eighth grade or seventh grade and i i slept okay and i was like you know i kind of like this and then i got into stephen king um and became obsessed and it just kind of built from there yeah, I feel like Stephen King is such a good, like, intro to horror, especially as a kid, because, like, he's so good at taking all these really scary concepts and, like, couching it in sort of Americana. Well, and none of his, none of his bad guys are all the way bad, like, and none right. of his good guys are all the way good, so I think that helps keep it from being boring or just a... A black and white kind of story. Yeah, and I mean, like when I think of Misery, like Annie Wilk, like Annie Wilk is such a great character, and for a lot of reasons, but also because like she never feels like a cartoon villain. Like there are some moments of genuine, like I don't know, pathos with her that you really, really feel for her, even though she's got the protagonist in a bed and and hobbles him. Yeah, he he does a really great job of fully realizing his characters. He doesn't just give all the kudos to the the heroes of the books definitely so brianna you have a new book of poetry out uh tell us a little bit about that i do well it was actually inspired by horror um i was in an mfa program up in boston um for creative writing and i was having trouble writing a poem for my workshop and i fell asleep watching a documentary on uh, John Wayne Gacy oh, man. and I had a dream I had a dream about him being my date at a party and it was like a really boring dream we were just hanging out and I thought that's a really funny poem and I wrote it up and I brought it to class and everybody was so torn by it they were like uncomfortable they said I don't like you painting this this horrific murderous person as like a normal ordinary person (laughs) they said i don't think that's right and uh 
my teacher said, you know, Brianna, I think you got something here because everybody is bothered by this. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm going to go with it. And I kind of started writing other poems about different serial killers and did research and found ones I hadn't heard of. So I come up with a series and then I realized that a lot of them had the same themes as the poems that I was working on personally outside of the series, which is, you know, how to be a woman, how ridiculous it is sometimes societal expectations and so kind of formed from there yeah well and especially with like true crime stuff i i like it's such a it's such a weird thing probably to to say but i'm excited that true crime stuff is kind of mainstream now because i feel like everybody kind of has strong opinions about serial killers where like years ago like that's not the kind of thing you bring up on like a first date is i'm fascinated by john wayne gacy because <laughs> that's when you ask for the check and ask them to please never contact you again and, and now it's like you've got like my favorite murder and like all these documentaries like uh, how to make a murder like i like that uh being into true crime is not the weird shady thing it used to be yeah and actually horror is kind of how my fiance and I got together was because we found that in common in each other and we spent I think the whole first date talking about our favorite scary movies and yeah so <laughs> it's such a it's such a fun conversation when <clears throat> like we talk about why we love horror because I feel like um I don't know like it's it's such a relatable thing that like because fear like because I mean like you when I was a kid I was also terrified of everything and so I feel like uh, my primary emotion generally is fear, and I think, I don't know, discussing that fear and discussing why we love horror and what it does for us, it's such a rich conversation. I definitely think it helps to make yourself a little afraid every once in a while. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you you just want to put everything off, and then stuff you put, you put off gets bigger and, and bigger, and before you know it, you're not doing anything. Yeah, fear gets stuff done. <laughs> So, Brianna, I want to talk to you about your poem, The Angel Makers, and I Try to Bake a Cake, because okay. I had not heard of The Angel Makers, and then I fell into a Wikipedia hole and got, like, more hyped <laughs> than I have in a long time about these people. They are so fascinating. Do you want me to give a little bit of background of who The Angel Makers Please, are? Please, because I think they need more uh, press. Okay, so The Angel Makers were a group of uh, women, I think in Hungary, um, on some like random island, and they were all wives, and they got convicted, not all of them, but they convicted a, a good chunk of them uh, for soliciting poison to wives that wanted to kill their husbands. So nice. they made, they would put the poison into a cake or pastry or some sort of dish, sell it to the wife, the wife would feed it to the husband, the husband would die, because there was no divorce or anything like that there. So it was a way to help protect the wives that wanted to get out of a bad marriage. Nice. And so, I mean, it's kind of hard to hate them. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But the idea of a group of women doing that together. What is it that draws us to serial killers and serial killer movies? I would say, first of all, the fact that they get away with it so many times, because I think in so many movies, we see the guy or woman barely getting away with it the first time. So the fact that these people make a life out of it, it's just crazy. Yeah. 
Well, and also the fact that, like, I, I think with serial killers for me, it's this thing of, like, how does their brain do that? Like, at what point does a, a human being just sort of decide, like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do literal murder and, like, crazy murder. Like, because, I mean, I'm... It's, it's like, uh, a couple of weekends ago, I uh, went to this thing called Writer's Police Academy, where, like, you go for, like, a weekend in Wisconsin, and, like, these, <clears throat> like, law enforcement people sort of show you how blood spatter patterns and guns and car chases work, and uh, there's uh, a thing you can do that you can sign up for where, like, during car chases, uh, they do this thing to make the car they're chasing spin out, where they ram the car into the, uh, into the back fender of the car they're pursuing, and it spins out. And they let you crash a car. Like, it's still reinforced on the back end of the car you're hitting. And so they the first time you do it, you have to, like, do a dry run where you very slowly drive forward with your car and, like, tap the back of their car before you hit it at, like, 20 or 30 miles per hour uh, the second time. Because there's this thing in your brain, obviously, that looks at crashing into a car and goes, don't do that. And so somebody that's able to look at a thing like murder and be able to go, yes, I'm going to do that. Like, how do they arrive at that place? Like, how do you say, I think I want to make a stew out of penises. <laughs> For instance, yeah. Which, Jeffrey Dahmer, Jesus. Like, So, oh. let's get into the Jeffrey Dahmer files, because this Jeffrey Dahmer is very fascinating, and this documentary is very fascinating. And I thought they did such a good job. Usually interviews, I feel like they're boring or they're just regurgitating the same information you hear over and over. Yeah. But these were such unique angles on Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. So if you haven't seen this, it is available on Shudder, who does sponsor our podcast, What What. But the Jeffrey Dahmer Files is a documentary where they interview the, is he the lead detective on the case? Yes, he was. Uh, a neighbor and one of the CSI guys, one of the guys in the lab. And I, I think the neighbor is the most fascinating because you never hear about his neighborhood. And, like, they had to tear his building down yeah. because it became, like, this weird you know, macabre tourist attraction and, like, no one wanted to live there and it was uh, public housing, so it just kind of, like, destroyed all these people's lives that he got away with this. Yeah, they they talked about that one guy that they had to evict with police because he refused to leave. Yeah. That was sad. Which, and, and we just uh, did uh, The Devil's Candy on, on this show, which is a, a, a great example of the, but this will be a great new start for our family, like, genre of horror. And I gotta wonder, like, if I were looking for uh, a house to buy and then a really cheap one popped up and, you know, it looked really nice and then they were like, uh, full disclosure, this is a wild murder house that Jeffrey Dahmer hung out in, I, would you buy that house? Um, it depends on how much the discount was. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, can, I can overlook a lot for a nice house. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen too many horror movies. I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> yeah. So, so Jeffrey Dahmer reminds me of the dude who was camping in the lot across from my home. Uh, because 
I live in a, a neighborhood that has a lot of public housing homes on it. They're all Habitat for Humanity homes. And this white dude rolled up in his really nice van and parked in an empty lot. Mm-hmm. And when everyone in the neighborhood said, what are you doing here? He said, oh, I own this lot. So everyone was like, that's creepy and weird. But if you say <laughs> so, that's fine. And I said, not in my new neighborhood. So I kept calling the cops on him. And he did not own the lot. He just thought, oh, this is a low-income neighborhood. I can pretend that you know, I know what I'm doing, and people will let me do whatever weird <laughs> things I'm doing in my van. So uh, that's kind of what Jeffrey Dahmer does. Speaking of reminding, I am ashamed to say this, but I dated a man who looks almost identical to him, ah. and it freaks me out. I didn't know about it at the time. I mean, obvi- a little more attractive, I, <laughs> if I, I can yeah. put that out there. But watching the movie of the clips of him, it would just... It made me jump a little. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, like, in, in fairness, like, the, the reenactments in, in the Dahmer Files were a bit... It kind of reminded me of Murder Party or, like, the Greasy Strangler a bit, where it was, like... It was like somebody binge-watched a shitload of um, Napoleon Dynamite over and over again. Yeah, exactly. And then we're like, yeah. all right, let's watch Jeffrey Dahmer go to Home Depot and get a, a, a corpse barrel. <laughs> and it, I kind it was, of... Yeah. I kind of liked how mundane his tasks were if you didn't know the context. Oh, yeah. I think it just made the film just that quiet, spooky. Yeah, where it was like Area Man stares at tropical fish, everything's chill. <laughs> and then you, yeah. you know that it's Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, and also with Jeffrey Dahmer, like, he. I don't know, like, when you actually, like, delve into it, like, the, the thing that really creeps me out about Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't know why this is the bit that is a bridge too far in the body politic of all the buckwild shit Jeffrey Dahmer was up to, but the fact that he went back to bodies he'd already buried to have sex with those bodies, like, that just, I, I don't know why that, that detail is the one that skeeves my shit out, and, like... Well, Ted Bundy did that, too. Yeah, and, and that was how Ted Bundy helped them find the Green River Killer, was... You know, they were consulting with him. He was like, well, he's probably going to go back to the site to fuck the body, so you're going to want to watch out for that. And then they did catch him that way. Hmm. So... Did you... Uh, I'm going to go off on a tangent, but one of my poems was about the Green River Killer, and I open it with um, an excerpt from his interview mm-hmm. describing what, what happened before he killed the women. It was so disturbing. It just reminded me of that, just because he would say stuff like, you know, it'll be fine, don't worry, and then he told the police, that, but of course they should have been worrying, because I was about to murder the shit out of them, but yeah. it was just like, Jesus. it was the weirdest interview. Yeah, and, and that sounds like the Hillside Stranglers, too. Oh yeah, or Ted Bundy, like... Yeah, yeah, it's just this, it's weird how this thing shows up over and over and over again. Well, and let me and, well, and let me also say like I so I've spent a fair amount of time on Tumblr. Uh, the I will say it makes me feel really good about myself that I'm not part of the uh, woo precious baby serial killer community on Tumblr that like talks about serial killers the way you talk about One Direction. Um, 
because like there there's a community of people that all really want to bone down like Richard Ramirez and Ted Bundy and it's the weirdest thing but it makes sense that in a way they they sort of look at these fucking monsters and kind of I mean you know, you look at the way that people talk about the villain of any show or movie, and they're like, oh, no, they're just misunderstood babies. And it's like, he's a, he's a fucking murderer. And you're, like, trying to reason with these kids, and they're just like, you can't. They, this is a phase they got to go through, is wanting to fuck the Columbine killers. Jesus. Right. Char- Charles Manson had a crazy following of women. I mean, he got married while in prison. Yeah. So, hey, there's no problem. By one of us. the people. Yeah. That's just. <laughs> so, how high or low do we want to put the Jeffrey Dahmer files on our list? The only other documentary we have is Faces of Death. <laughs> That's not a documentary. <laughs> I mean, kind kind of a documentary. Tangentially, I feel a like it should at least be above the two-headed shark attack. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Just me. I can't disagree with that. Um, so we said it felt a lot like Murder Party. Is it better? That is this real-life story better than this fictional movie? You know, I, I want to say it's... it's better than Murder Party because. Just solely, the bit that I've been thinking about since I watched it last week was his neighbor talking about, like, this was a dude I, like, kicked back with and had a beer occasionally. Like, this was a guy I knew, and then I found out that when he cooked for me, probably I was eating dicks. Yeah, yeah, he probably cooked penis pasta, but not penis pasta as, like, novelty pasta. Yeah, yeah, like not, like, not like wacky pasta. bachelorette party pasta, like, literally dicks in, a, in, in food. Have y'all ever eaten wacky bachelorette pasta? (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, so, uh, for for wacky (laughs) bachelorettes, there's a lot of, like, penis-shaped, like, you can buy a penis uh, cake pan or a penis, like, box of macaroni and cheese, and it's like, you know how sometimes you can get mac and cheese and it's like Ninja Turtles? (laughs) Right, they'll be cheesy penises. Yeah, cheesy penises. Yes. So, uh, Emily got those for her bachelorette party, and we ate them together, and those were sitting on the shelf in the... And you buy these at at a pornography store. Those were sitting on the shelf at the porn store for who knows how long. Quincy, (laughs) that was was the dadliest you have ever sounded. You you buy them at the pornography store. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh my, yeah, which, I mean, I, I'm just imagining, like, a box of novelty wiener pasta, like, hanging out, <laughs> gathering dust in a cupboard next to, like, coconut milk from 1998, where it's like, <laughs> yeah, we got that for the bachelor party, and I, you know, although now I'm just picturing you and Emily sitting in silence, eating the dick-shaped <laughs> pasta together, not talking about it. And just like, we need to get through this. Were you there? I, Were I, you spying I like, on me? I feel like you need to throw some meatballs in that. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason it's a classic. Like, it's right there. You have to do it. Um, I'll tell you what, um, even Aldi mac and cheese is better than penis novelty mac and you mean, cheese. Listen, if you can't depend on novelty pasta you bought at the pornography shop, I don't know what you can believe in. Like, that sounds like top shelf eating. Can you use food stamps for that? 
<laughs> this is the future liberals want using your food stamps to buy novelty penis pasta. Um, but yeah, so no, we honestly, I would, yeah. So purely for the neighbor talking, because that haunts me. Like the the look on her face as she was coming to terms with this in front of the camera. That, she was so angry. Oh yeah, that's exactly it. Like she wasn't creeped out and like sort of shaken by it. She was furious that this had been her life. So another movie with I'd say comparable gravitas is Hounds of Love, which is right around The Grudge. Oh boy. How do we feel? Is this movie is this documentary better than The Grudge or uh, I'd say in some ways. I mean cuz the movie is is more or less like 75% of it is just interviews so you're not there's no show it's just sitting there listening to them and i was compelled the entire time yeah it's better that that's the problem is i would rather watch that again because it's so fascinating than watch the grudge again right exactly yeah the grudge doesn't really do much for me i i like the i like the japanese original with, but it's not my favorite, you know? Like, I, I feel like this uh, this documentary leaves me with more than The Grudge does. Okay, Ryan, uh, we recently watched Madhouse. Oh, yeah. Uh, how does a buck... In terms of, like, buck wild, you know, craziness, which is crazier, the truth or fiction? Okay, so a we're... A dog we're... bursting through a, a hollow corridor to bite a man. <laughs> Um, you know, I, it's like picking your favorite kid, you know, I, I would, okay, I would say Dahmer Files are better than Maniac Cop 2, even though Maniac Cop, Maniac Cop 2 has a tie-in rap, and And that, um, special effects with the guy caught on fire. Man, I'm permanently standing for Maniac Cop 2, I feel like every episode when we talk about it we we shit on it, but I rewatch Maniac Cop 2 frequently. Or not, well, not Yo, uh, periodically. I think it's it, one of the um, horror clothing companies is is doing a line of Maniac Cop two shirts, and oh, I shit. really want. I'm exercising a lot of restraint not to say we literally advertise Maniac Cop two <laughs> on every episode of this. Give us free shirts. We have single handedly raised viewership for this movie by at least half a dozen people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's probably better than Maniac Cop 2, not as good as a dog bursting through a door eating a guy. Okay, so that makes The Dahmer Files our new number 51. Yeah, buddy. So let's talk about, speaking of Buckwild movies, let's talk about 1971's The Zodiac Killer. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that smooth jazz sax that the soundtrack on this was i honestly it got me through this morning i was just like quietly bopping at my desk what is up with that saxophone <laughs> it's magical well, did you see did you see their budget that was <laughs> yeah, probably the fair. only song they didn't have to pay for it was so, it was like you know those videos you watch uh when you've just gotten like a schmo job and you got to watch videos on like what to do if uh, your cowork if you find your coworker stealing or like proper hand washing procedure? It was like that, but for killing a guy. So, <laughs> for real, um, everything is terrible. Just recently released a, they found a blockbuster 
uh, training video and it's shot like a sitcom. <laughs> and it's Excellent. wonderful. Uh, honestly, ev- everything is terrible is uh, one of the best parts of being alive, to be honest. <laughs> I, I love that goddamn thing. So, the Zodiac Killer is a new Blu-ray from AGFA, the American Film Genre Archive, and Something Weird. And again, MVD Entertainment are homies from different mummies. They're the real heroes. They're the real heroes. They're the true MVPs, because they keep giving us great stuff like this. Um, it's got some of the best bonus features, uh, because it's the same people that that do all the other like era releases it's got a second movie as a bonus feature called what? another son of sam another one yeah one of the lesser it's sons awful of sam? it's like it's it's unwatchable and literally they're like i think something weird who's this big film archive was like look we cannot sell this on dvd <laughs> In good can we put it on can we tack it onto another dvd and sell it but the best thing about this Blu-ray is it's got a commentary track where they interview the director slash producer. Mm-hmm. And also there's a print interview. The reason why this movie exists was to catch the Zodiac Killer. Explain. Okay, so How? the director in the commentary literally said this movie came out in 71. It premiered in San Francisco because they thought the Zodiac Killer was so vain he would have to see a movie about himself. They they set up a fake giveaway where they were going to give away a motorcycle and you had to fill out a raffle ticket with your name and your address and put it in the box. They had a guy hiding in the box that was able to analyze handwriting and they were going to compare it to a sample of the zodiac letter they had other guys hiding in an ice cream freezer and in motorcycles across the street and when they caught the zodiac killer they were all going to leap and capture him and basically they were assuming the reward money would would uh give them enough money to produce another movie what was their second movie idea (laughs) Their second movie idea was actually to go to South America and catch that Nazi who uh, escaped to Argentina. Oh. But well, it never happened because intention. the Zodiac Killer got away. It's like the To Catch a Predator, but Serial Killer edition. Seems very um, weirdly elaborate, yet not very well thought out. <laughs> the perfect crime. Right? <laughs> and like... Man. So, so with that in in mind, I think it makes sense why the plot of this movie makes no sense whatsoever. It's just like, let's throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks it, so that we can catch this guy. Well, and they made this, the Zodiac Killer look crazy, so they are probably trying to ruffle his feathers. Oh, yeah. Real, really, you know, if you're trying to catch a, a serial killer, you got to neg him really hard. So you're saying that this was just them going, this is this is what you look like. And it's like them going, bum. Which, by the way, the Zodiac Killer in this has an honest-to-God Zodiac Killer hoodie. He has a yeah. hoodie with the Zodiac Killer logo on it. Would you ever wear a Zodiac Killer hoodie? <laughs> like, if, um, I'm trying to think of who would sell. So, like, Rotten Cotton came out with a Zodiac Killer hoodie. Would you wear it? No. No. 
No. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty bad not. taste. It is. I mean, and I feel the, like unless you're the, Axl Rose circa 1992, you don't get to wear a shirt with a serial killer on it. Like, he, he had a Charles Manson, and, and even Charles Manson wasn't technically a serial killer. Because he didn't do any of it himself, but yeah, he just I feel like solicited. yeah, he just yeah. he was he was just a really persuasive guy who got other people to do it. And actually, I feel like generally wearing a T-shirt with a serial killer on it, like I nearly got a job at the Museum of Death in Los Angeles because I talked with the guy at the front counter about Richard Ramirez for like twenty minutes, and then he was like, "So, do you want to apply?" And I paused and was like, "I cannot work here because that would be too much." <laughs> like my fam I, I don't want to explain to my family what I do that I work at the murder shop and they've got these t-shirts with like Albert Fish on them and Jesus yeah like imagine you're out at fucking Panera Bread and dude or next to you is <laughs> rocking an Albert Fish t-shirt you move the fuck away from that guy that's well, like that's a fuck you t-shirt that's like a yeah. I'm, I'm a bad person shirt there's definitely a line between being interested in horror and the history of serial killers and and like uh admiring them for it or promoting it yeah like having a favorite serial killer is not like having a favorite wrestler like you don't need merch with their face on it yeah no i would never i i've read my serial killer poems a couple times um out and about and I've always had people approach me and say, well, which one is your favorite? What a question. <laughs> I don't think I can answer that. <laughs> yeah, which, which guy who ruined lives and murdered people is your favorite guy who did that? And it's like, well, like, they're fascinating, and you have ones that interest you more, but to say that, yeah, like, so, so, so Quincy, to which, no, I would not wear a Zodiac Killer hoodie. <laughs> but consider this. Homeboy in this movie has some kind of weird arcane ritual where he says I'm killing everyone in this life to be my slaves in the afterlife and the then was voices tell him how do you know you're right like literal the voices of the dead people that he's killed say no that's not true <laughs> at, at no point by the way and I'm mad about this does the, the fictional Zodiac killer, like the insulting parody of the guy they're trying to catch, at no point does he deliver a line like, your hor your horoscope is death, and then stab someone. <laughs> like, he never makes a Zodiac pun or anything. Like, well, it looks like you're falling to Pisces, and then hacks them to bits. <laughs> I, I just thought of that just now, and that's how easy it is. And they couldn't be fucked to write in a goofy one-liner, and I'm hot about it. Why, that would have been why? <laughs> that would have been a good scene when he's murdering the the girl in the bikini if he made like a Virgo joke. Oh yeah, I I could have seen that. It, or like, and it's so it's so weird how after each murder he carefully like wipes the blade off on their clothes, but then right. has blood all over himself. Yeah, yeah, like, like no one's gonna <laughs> notice it. And he wears those Groucho Marx glasses with the big schnoz on them and that oh, wig. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> Which makes it look like Terror Train with Jamie Lee Curtis, where you've got the killer with the big fucking schnoz and the Groucho glasses. Like, oh boy, there, there, uh, so many choices were made in this film that are just <laughs> perplexing, and I'm here for it. Man, I, I love that that woman needs help with her tire, and so you know the Zodiac killer helps her with her tire by hitting her with the tire. 
Or the lady whose car breaks down and then he just proceeds to slam her head in the trunk and then jump on the trunk and scare yes, her. Yes, right. he does. That was, that was ridiculous. That was like a Friday oh, the 13th death. I feel like this whole review is just, and then this nuts thing happened, and then this nuts. I recommend uh, people purchase this Blu-ray because the soundtrack is the smoothest, oh, softest shit. jazz. Oh, man, it is, the, it is choice. The uh, interview, the the audio track where this grizzled old director just cusses and goes, what's that fucking guy's name? I don't fucking remember that guy's name. <laughs> Everything, they're like, do you remember setting up this shot? No. Do you remember... How long was the... it was the interview after the movie premiered? Oh, it was like recorded this year. And like, oh, so he's old. Yeah, yeah. So like, Tom Hansen's just like, I don't remember. And like, Tom Hansen's son is like, yeah, I remember we were the extras. Like, we're the kids on the playground in that shot and stuff. He's like, yeah, and then, you know, this asshole and this motherfucker. And like, he's just the best kind of salty old guy. So they just but, like accosted him while he was cleaning the gutters on his house. And he was like, ugh, I don't, uh, what? No, get away. But go, listen, go. I don't want to spoil this because I think it's worth picking it up. There's a reveal about this plot to trap the Zodiac Killer that made me slam my hands on the desk. When I was, <laughs> I was oh, like, yeah, 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 the big reveal. Although, honestly, the most surprising thing about this to me was that um, a big portion of this movie is, like, my dinner with Andre-esque observations from all of the characters, where they're all sitting around talking about their relationships, and it has nothing to do with anything, but it's like... All right, man. You mean how they're all raging misogynists? Yeah, that'd be the one where they're like the the word "bitch" gets a whole lot of mileage in in this movie, in a way that's noticeable. And like, guys, we get it. You're like an eight year old who's just learned how to curse, and you just want to use that word for everything. And I understand you're having a good time, but the Zodiac Killer is stomping on people's heads and with with, with car trunks. So we need to focus and stop talking about how much we hate women. Yeah, I was confused how the Zodiac Killer played into that conversation because I couldn't tell if he was on the the male perspective side of that or the or if he felt bad for the women. Yeah. But due to the fact that he did kill quite a few women, although he didn't discriminate because he did kill men. Oh, I just realized. Just, you, you that know was he, the part that confused me. I just realized, you know what he could have shouted when he killed the men in the way that he killed the women? I guess you could say I'm a little by Aquarius and then... Stop! Like it, it's so it's so easy. Jesus. So no one is listening anymore because of all the puns. So oh. it's this is not a good movie, but it is one of the most fascinating uh, artifacts that I've watched in a while. It was fascinatingly bad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was not good by by any uh, hold on a by, by any degree of courtesy we can use to describe this. When he discovers that his pet bunny has died and has that why do all the good people in my life die moment. <laughs> yeah. I did I did feel for him a little at that scene. Definitely. I was like that bunny looked like it was a good one. <laughs> yeah, although this this sounds like uh, a weird compliment. The stabbings were actually pretty well done. Like I was thinking that they were they made me uncomfortable. I kind of had to close my eyes a minute. Yeah, like when he's stabbing on that dude next to the lake, like that it looked pretty real. Like I was for the fact that the budget on this was literally like a coupon from a Sears catalog from like 1971. 
it was pretty good. Um, the, it could it could have been real. You never know. Oh Jesus! That's how far they were willing to go to catch Zodiac. That's why the Zodiac killer was never caught. He's actually a creative <laughs> consultant on this movie. <laughs> and they were like, you know, Steve, you you know a lot about these murders, and I don't know how, but I'm just I'm just glad to have you around. You know. <laughs> well, you know, there there are films that have used like real dead bodies or skeletons, like. Including one we're going to talk about, yeah. 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 Okay, so I want to talk about Poltergeist, so let's just slap this on the list. Is it better than Two-Headed Shark Attack? Mm, yes. Yes. <laughs> were you hesitating? Well, I was going to say, because mm, I was like, well, we did get to see Brooke Hogan's dead eyes staring at the camera, which I think is great, because <laughs> she makes me uncomfortable. Appeal. Man, she is the shruggiest, and I value that. But yeah, no, this is better than Two-Headed Shark Attack. So this reminds me a lot of The Evil Eye by Mario Bava, just because it's got that vibe of, like, it's supposed to be, like, gravitas and seriousness, but it doesn't quite work. Well, because it's got that sweet fucking soundtrack is why. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are are a lot of jokes and zingers in there. Mm -hmm. So. That's true. They are are yucking it up in this movie. So I don't know if, if they were trying to do maybe that's why it didn't work because they're trying to do both they're trying to be super serious and funny mm-hmm. so you weren't you weren't sure which way to lean yeah it wasn't scary really although i mean of course you're like well i mean movies back then weren't quite i don't know scary movies aren't movies that were scary back then aren't necessarily scary now but even even if i'd been hanging out during the 70s and just watched this i wouldn't be like white knuckling it through it i'd just be going lol what is with that soundtrack and that's it I remember watching this at a fifth grade sleepover, and we were all squealing. But I, this was one of the few movies as a kid that I could actually watch. And I, for some reason, I fell in love with this movie, and I would make my mom take me to Blockbuster at least once a month to rent it. Wow. <laughs> so that was, that was me in fifth grade. That's amazing. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Back and forth between Poltergeist and American Ashley Olsen movie. So obviously those two go hand in hand. Definitely. Excellent. Okay, so I'm going to say Zodiac Killer should go... It's not as good as Crimson Peak. No. No, 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 no. It is better than The Room at the Top of the Stairs. Okay, so then that puts the Zodiac Killer as number 85. Yeah. So now let's talk about Poltergeist, because this movie rocks. I I love this movie so much such a good movie and i've never seen it before this week oh no shit no. i'm so excited oh my god gosh tell me everything I, what, what 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 was your what was well, your take on well, how now you, seen it? you have you have two more movies you can watch now yeah yeah because there's two sequels um and they're totally so, as good as the first Pulitzer guys no no no, no, <laughs> no that's not true um, I was really, like, shocked because I didn't know about, um, the little girl that plays Mary Ann. I didn't know she died so young. And it's I was a cursed like, film. Yeah. Uh, she I, died. I don't know about that, but... Well, I mean, that's she... the, that's the urban legend about Poltergeist. Yeah. Yes, because there were two other of the actors that died. Mm-hmm. Um... Who, who else died? The teenage, the girl that plays the teenage daughter... And one of the minor characters. What? Yeah, and they yeah. all died in crazy ways. Like the teenage daughter, she got murdered. She was got her boyfriend, by her right? boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then the other guy, he got murdered too. I don't remember how. Um, but yeah, so that was why they thought the movie was cursed. What? I'm shocked. This is wow. And um, and one of the reasons that, um, of course, as as we were talking about before, the fact that they use literal uh, skeletons from people in this, and I think the prevailing thing was like this movie was cursed because of all the shoot skeletons hanging out on set. That <laughs> I mean, that they're asking for trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, which skeletons? Like, the, the end when all hell breaks loose and all the yes. skeletons bubble up? Swimming pool, yeah. In the pool, yeah. Who thought that was a good idea? Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg and Toe Booper. <laughs> so, okay, so there's all of this rumor that Steven Spielberg actually directed the movie. And I think that's bogus. I think he had... Now, the thing is, it's got that good Spielberg stink all over it. Like, it has so many Spielbergian things about it. But I think also, if you've watched enough Tobe Hooper, um, you can completely see how this is a Tobe Hooper film and not just, like, Steven Spielberg using him as a hired gun to point the camera. Yeah, I, the I, you know I hate to speak ill of the recently deceased, but I don't know, man. Um, all the rumor, what I've read, you know, in the rumor mills, what I've seen, it looks like it's more Steven Spielberg than Hoops. I I read he did the casting because mm -hmm. he was the one that discovered um, the little girl. Yeah, and she's great. Like I I honestly, this is one of the I. I, I hadn't realized upon, uh, well, until rewatching it recently, that most of this movie is the family screaming at the top of their lungs. Like, it is yeah. mostly them screaming, Mom! And that's, you know, at a certain point I had to turn the volume down on my computer while, while rewatching it at work because it was like, I'm tired of hearing people scream Mom over and over again. And yeah. the fact that this movie is, oh, uh, demons, ghosts stole my daughter. And, like, for most of the movie, she's just gone. Yeah. They're like, the house ate her. And the tree tries to eat that little, the little boy. And it's just like, they're gone. Well, and, of course, the tree was taken from Steven Spielberg's childhood fear of the tree outside his window. And then the clown. You can't forget the clown. Oh, Jesus. Oh, fuck that clown. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Oh, it's bad. I, I read somewhere that in one scene, the clown was actually choking the actor, and they didn't know it. They thought he was ad-libbing, and, and then he started turning blue, and then they rushed over there and felt horrible. Oh, Jesus. But, I mean, can you imagine being that little boy? <laughs> yeah. although um, nightmarish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, although I think it's not even Polter Poltergeist's fault, but um, Tangina, the, the medium. Uh, have y'all seen Teen Witch? Yes. That's all I can think when I watch <laughs> Tangina now is she, just, I think of Teen Witch. She always plays that character, but she's so good at it. Yeah, and like in the back of my mind, I don't know if you guys... Um, listen to uh, We Hate Movies. Uh, they're a, another podcast. They they did an episode on Teen Witch, and one of them impersonating her voice went, I'm gonna fuck a frog child. <laughs> and then, so, I'm gonna fuck a frog child is all I can hear anytime Tangina is like, no, go towards the light. And like, and she's such a cool on-screen presence in Poltergeist. Like, I never feel like the movie is being shitty about Tangina, because I think a lot of lesser horror movies would pull some carny shit with that character, and this movie actually takes her seriously. Yeah, yeah, she was in um, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. She had the bit part as the librarian. Uh, Zelda oh, right. Rubenstein, I think's yeah. her name. I don't know if it was Rubenstein or Rubenstein. 
you know, potato, potato. Tangina. It's just yes. a person's name. She, she, she's Tangina. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, I, and honestly, with this movie especially, um, I think we talked about it briefly uh, on the last podcast, but um, in terms of getting on board with this family immediately, that is pure Steven Spielberg. Because, yeah. Because yeah. just with this family, you know, you want them to be okay. Yes, and and you know better than devil uh, devil's candy. Just the let's show this family smoking a smoking a joint and hanging out while the kids are in bed. Like it's this immediate. I like these people. Well, I like the, the cut of their jib. Yeah, and the mom in this, I love the mom in Poltergeist because of the scene where like it inverts this horror trope of like you know housewives jumping up on on chairs and fainting and screaming where she is so initially excited about all this crazy, creepy shit happening in her house. Like, she takes, you know, her husband into the kitchen and goes like, okay, but watch this shit with the chair. And she's so fascinated by what's going on, and I love that you don't really get to, especially for the early 80s, you don't get to see a lot of female characters in movies who are that age who are, like, legitimately, like, an excited kid about all of this bizarre shit happening. Right, and she's the the hero of it. I mean, she's the one that dives into God knows where and comes out all slimy and gunky. Oh yeah, with the kid. Yep. Yeah. Can we can we talk about what that stuff was supposed to be? Placenta. Ectoplasm. The the gel. It it was disgusting. The emotion slime I mean... from Ghostbusters. <laughs> no, that was green. Can I tell Wasn't you that? Okay, pink. so. Remember Ghostbusters 2, the red slime monster that comes out of the bathtub? Oh, yeah. To this day, when I take a bath, I check to make sure that that <laughs> stuff's not coming out. You, I, take, you take baths? <laughs> Can we talk yes. about that? <laughs> yeah, let's well, go back to that for I, a moment. <laughs> well, because I can't read a book in the shower. <laughs> Speak for yourself. You just get, you get every book you own wet reading in the shower. So, have you ever read that Jhumpa Lahiri short story where the wife is like a free spirit and the husband's like a total button-up, uh, button-up, top-collar dude? And one of the ways that she shows that this wife is a free spirit is she reads a book in the bathtub and she's talking to her husband and she puts the book down in the water and like lets the book float away while she's making a point. Hell yeah. <laughs> And I'm just like, it freaks me out. It's like, why would you do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> she she probably didn't like the book. Yeah. So it was, it was more just for show. Yeah, so fuck, <laughs> so fuck it, you know? Like, if, listen, if you're going to make a point and you have to sacrifice a shitty book, then, you know, no harm. Um, but but there's also, um, in Poltergeist, there's, like, there's also this other Spielbergian touch, which is you've basically got the mayor from Jaws in Poltergeist is the guy that sells them the house, but half-asses it and only gets rid of the headstones and not the dead fucking bodies. Oh, that reveal. You just removed the headstones. You just removed the headstones. Like, that how, guy... How did he make that leap so fast? Because he didn't even see what happened. He just came to the door and they're trapped inside and, the, the you know, the demons are back and he just turns back to his boss and immediately it realizes what happened. Yeah, that's a good point. Is that a plot hole? I, I think I just found one. There we go. I, unless, unless he's really smart. And really, why was the realtor fucking hanging out after making this deal? Like, you you build a house on some on some dead bodies, you skip fucking town. You <laughs> go to another state. You don't hang out with the family who you've just sold the corpse house to when they've just lost their daughter to ghosts. Come on. What are you doing? Yeah, I don't think... 
I don't, actually, I don't know if he if he could afford to move because I think he was living in one of those houses. Oh, there you go. So the real ghost so. is capitalism. No, I don't know. It's <laughs> no, but real for real. This like a ton of other movies on our list. It, capitalism is the villain. Yeah, definitely greed. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same thing with Jaws. It's the same thing with Jurassic Park. Like this is such a Spielbergian thing. Is people getting fucked over from somebody trying to make a buck. Um, But yeah, also with Poltergeist, the effects in this are fucking rad. Like, they still hold up so, so good. Yeah, so how good are the effects? Are they Tar Man, Return of the Living Dead good? (laughs) I mean, I would say they're not, like, Rob Bettine good, but they're... And, and which Robert Tain, of course, didn't do Return to Living Dead. He did, like, The Thing and a bunch of other ones. But he... Honestly, the effect in here that I think is my favorite is when he's peeling his face off in front of the mirror. Yeah! Like, <laughs> that fucked me up. And you know, of course, that this is prosthetics. But I feel like I've seen that same sequence done poorly with CG, and there is just no substitute for, like, tapioca pouring out of a fucking prosthetic head with Steven Spielberg's hands peeling the face off. Like... There, like that effect is great. Even the 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 floating roaring lion ghost thing that yells at the mom, it it works so well. And I think it's really impressive that a movie from 1982, of course, like same year the thing. Um, I don't know. Maybe 1982 was just a good year for practical effects. They were. It was. And that was before there was a lot of CGI. So I think they just knew to work harder. Yeah. So I'd say it's definitely better than Army of Darkness because Army of Darkness is, you know, where you start to get a lot more green screen effects and you can kind of see the seams a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So just for special effects, it's better than that. But then we have Ginger Snaps and Phantasm and Reanimator, all these really um, creature feature special effects heavy movies and I don't know. See, here's the thing. I will be goddamned if I put this movie below Funny Games. That's fair. I, I just, I honestly, with like with Funny Games versus Poltergeist, like Funny Games is kind of a oh yeah, I see what they're doing there. Poltergeist is a like exultant fuck yes horror is the finest thing ever made thing for me. Where like I watch it and I just, I don't know. Like you know, you know how with wrestling, um, there are some matches that you watch and you just think to yourself, I love wrestling. Um, and that's this movie in horror for me. Like, there are so many moments in it where I'm just like, horror is the goddamn coolest. And Funny so, Games does not do that for me. By that logic, would you say it's better than Argento movies? Yes. I would, and here's why. Um, I have any emotional investment in what happens to the characters. <clears throat> yeah. Like, I feel like Argento doesn't really care about his characters. He cares about doing cool stuff with their bodies. Right. It's just like, it's kind of like, um, I've been watching a lot of Carboys on YouTube. It's oh, like, yeah. Argento's just like, let me fling these <coughs> bodies like ragdolls towards each other and let them explode in blood and put it on film. Yeah. And yeah, and I think, honestly, there's a bigger cultural conversation with Poltergeist and what it meant for horror, because I feel like with Argento, with a few exceptions, mostly it's fucking horror hounds who want to talk shop about Argento, where if you can talk about Poltergeist with somebody's dad, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I was really shocked when um, Hoops passed away. Poltergeist is what everyone was talking about, not Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, that was wild. Well, this, I mean, I this was in theaters as a PG movie, so I think a lot more people saw Poltergeist. That's true, because yeah. really, if, if we're talking about neckbeard horror hounds, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like the advanced Holy Grail. level... Hey now, you probably don't want to watch this. Yeah, right. I remember my uh, my parents went and saw it when it was in the theaters back in the day, and they said people were puking in Excellent. the theater. Uh, my father-in-law puked during Dawn of the Dead, and he had just eaten an entire pizza. <laughs> this is why you don't eat a full pizza before going into Dawn of the Dead. See, the thing is also, Poltergeist is responsible for so much pop culture post poltergeist because look at the conjuring that movie is basically poltergeist fanfic um Mm -hmm. so many movies are like i think there have been lots of possession movies and lots of oh no ghosts have kidnapped my kid movies but poltergeist is the granddaddy of all of them and i think without poltergeist horror would look very very different where argento of course is fantastically talented and influential in horror but when I think of people who have directly ripped off Argento, I'm like, well, Darren Aronofsky with Black Swan and maybe, oh, and The Neon Demon by Nicholas Winding Ruffin. And I feel like that's a more niche thing than all of the movies post-Poltergeist that have drawn inspiration from it. So what has changed the landscape for the better in horror more? Nightmare on Elm Street or Poltergeist? <sighs> oh, no. Oh, I man. think the the bad guy in Nightmare on Elm Street was more realized than in Poltergeist. Yeah. But then in Poltergeist, I think the the family was more realized. So, do you look at the villain or do you look at the victim as being the better? That's a really good question. Yeah, because Nightmare is a series where you really don't care about the final girl. You're just like, wait, it's what? All... Yeah. What? Wait, wait, wait. Them's fighting war. Oh, oh, oh no. Well, okay, the thing is, uh, there are two final girls you really care about in the Nightmare series. It's Alice from parts four and five and Nancy from parts one and three. And even then, Nancy is only a final girl for part one and she comes back as a... Anyway, the point is, I... I I don't know, like, there there is emotional investment with the families in Nightmare on Elm Street, but it's much more sort of... uh, Basic. Will Smith voice, parents just don't understand and not... Like, Nancy's family is not helping her through this. They're pretending there's no problem and getting drunk to not deal with it and working late hours at the Springwood, you know, police department to not have to talk with your daughter about what she's experiencing because you're culpable in it. Um, And Poltergeist is much more like, all right, we got to circle the wagons as a family. We got to get through this. Okay, so think about it this way. Do you all remember the board game Splat? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) with a big plastic hand. So... Listen, gather around, children. Gather around your <laughs> podcast. Uh, it's story time. So there was this board game in the 90s where you would mold ants out of Play-Doh, and that is your pawn. And if you rolled the wrong dice, someone got to mush your ant onto the board, and you had to start at the start space again, I think. So some horror movies are like Splat. You want it's more fun to watch the pawn get splatted mm-hmm. than it is to win the game. Yeah. I would argue Nightmare on Elm Street is a movie where you want to see 
your character gets splatted more than you really want to win the game. Um, yeah. All of a sudden, I can't think of it, the the converse of that, but that's what <laughs> you you is. want you want poltergeist you want the family to succeed. You don't you don't yeah. want the bad guy to win. Well, you and, don't want to see them get splatted. Well, and here's yeah. the thing: like even the music in both <laughs> movies tells you how to feel about what's going on because the music in poltergeist absolutely holds your hand and tells you, "Hey, man, they're gonna be okay. They're gonna." Lots of crazy shit's gonna pop out and yell at them. They're gonna look at a lot of fucking spook like sp- spooksters uh, dripping up out of the pool. But they're gonna get to the Holiday Inn at the end, and they're gonna be okay. Whereas with Nightmare, like things are not okay. And even even at the end, you get the Bob Shea coda with her mom getting pulled through the door and the and the 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 striped hood coming down on the car. And I think one of them is a lot grimmer than the other because with Poltergeist, it's absolutely a family movie in a way that Nightmare on Elm Street absolutely is not. Yeah, so do we want to favor family-friendly but also iconic and, you know, hope like, what is it that horror movies are trying to do? Are they trying to drive families apart apart and make us feel really yucky? Or are they supposed to... I said fart. <laughs> are they supposed to um, make us... You I... know, are they reaffirming or are they challenging? I think Elm Street, an Elm Street family fails, mm-hmm. and then in Poltergeist, the family succeeds. So you definitely leave Nightmare on Elm Street feeling terrified. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Poltergeist, uh, it's got that. I mean, it ends with kind of that funny scene of them shoving the TV out of the room. <laughs> So you, you know that they're going to be okay. <laughs> right, right. It, it gives you a little wink and a nod like, huh, see, we, we, we end on a joke, and then it's fine. Yeah. I really was waiting, because I'd never seen the movie before, I was waiting for a stinger where the TV turned on. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't. Because horror conditions you to expect the stinger. Yeah. Um, I think because the top of the list is movies that we said are really scary... Like Ghost Watches on there because it gave actual real life children post traumatic stress, then I think Nightmare edges out Poltergeist, but Poltergeist needs to go right below it. Yeah, I would agree. I think, honestly, maybe it's just because I'm in a, a, a schmaltzy mood, but I want to put it above Nightmare purely for like, God damn it, maybe things will be okay after all. And not the, and honestly, and, and Quincy, like, answering your question of should horror do either thing, I think it should do both, obviously because it contains multitudes and and it can both affirm and and deny that, but I think between the two of those, uh, I don't know, I want something, I want want to feel good about something. Let's put Poltergeist above Nightmare. Okay, so that's splitting Scream and Nightmare. Do you feel okay doing that? Well, is Poltergeist better than Scream? I would argue it is. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a scream fanboy, but I think Poltergeist might go over purely for effects. Then it goes over American Psycho. Oh, for sure it goes over American <laughs> Psycho. But god damn it, I'm drawing the line at Eraserhead. <laughs> That's because fair. Eraserhead's effects are inscrutable. Like yeah. who knows what that is? It probably is a 
piece of meat that he found on the the side of the road. Well, it's and here we go. So like they're, they're both they're both tapping into the subconscious poltergeist in Eraserhead, but I think Eraserhead is more pure in the way that it does it because with Poltergeist, it's absolutely bringing you back to when you were a kid and a shadow in the corner of your room scared the absolute shit out of you, and it's a much more concrete thing. Where with Eraserhead, it is. Uh, I think more effective at uh, playing a horrible glissando on your fucking subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's how okay, I feel about so that. I'm, I'm just happy it made number 10. I mean, it made the top 10. So. Yeah, yeah, so number 8 is 1982's Poltergeist. We gotta watch that remake and put that on the no. list. Oh, no! It was so no. bad. Quince, it was so gotta bad. Gotta do it. Quincy, I care about you. Don't watch Don't watch the Poltergeist remake. Gotta do it. Remake. No, hey, God. man, I watch Grime Wave, so how bad could it be? <laughs> Nothing can hurt. You've seen the Bye Bye Man. Nothing can hurt you now. Yeah, the Bye Bye Man gives me warm fuzzies these days because <laughs> it's like, it's so incompetent, it's endearing. Yes. It's... The Bye Bye Man is the birdemic of the 2010s. You know what? Between Sharknado and all of its fucking winky, ironic ilk and the earnest batshit incompetence of the Bye Bye Man, give me the Bye Bye Man 10 days out of 10. I, I think that Poltergeist 2 should be considered at some point because there is a much more realized villain in that. And yeah, there is. And he scares the shit out of me. He gives me nightmares to Man. this day. Poltergeist 2 would always come on basic cable and, yeah, when I was a kid, scared the shit out of me. When he's whistling and, ugh, uh, okay, when uh, stop. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, Brianna, now we're at the part of the show where you tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet. Okay. Well, I have my own website, um, BriannaLachardi.com, and uh, my book, you can find a link through on my website, or you can go directly through the press, which is Finishing Line Press. And what's the title of your book one more time? The title of the book is called Skin Splitting, and it's a chapbook of poems. Hell yeah. Yeah. We are also on the internet although we don't have uh, an awesome book of poetry we just have uh gifts of really gross horror movies uh we're on tumblr uh rankandvile.tumblr.com we are on gmail rankandvilecast at gmail.com say hi to us if you want us to rank a movie if you have a movie you need us to see if you made a movie you want us to see whatever just say hi if you want to advertise with us just on. We're on Twitter. We're very active on Twitter at Rankin Vilecast. We're also really active on um, Instagram, and we're doing an Instagram giveaway. If we hit a uh, hundred and I want to say it's like fifty followers, I have to double check the fine print. Uh, we're gonna give away some DVDs and some other uh, random stuff. My mom went to Walgreens and bought some Walking Dead uh, <laughs> blind bags, so those will probably make it in the box too. So give us that a follow like on a Instagram. It's gonna be, it, it'll be a hoot. I have uh, some stickers that are ridiculous, so you'll get those if you are the lucky winner. Yeah. Um, Ryan, what other news do we have in the the world of the podcast? Um, this is just a reminder that uh, if you go to lapelia.com, you can get uh, a discount uh, on your order of wrestling enamel pins. I just got a Rapongi Vice yes. pin and a Shinsuke Nakamura Please pin. Please check that out. Because, uh, designed by Punk uh, Rock Big Mouth. 
it's it's good. It's real good. Yeah, real fancy. Um, have a great week, everyone. <laughs> Take it I'm easy. Gonna, I'm going to go lay down and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>